So a few years ago, uh, my wife and I took part in a little experiment. Um, we bought one of those home gym DVD programs, a very famous one. Some of you were around back then. Um, and personally, I was motivated by the fact that I couldn't fit in all my old jeans anymore, at least not comfortably. And I found that to be a pretty powerful motivator to try this new thing for 90 days. But it wasn't enough. You know, uh, the thing is, I could always just buy new jeans. <laughs> right? I mean, that, that could happen. I'm not saying it hasn't ever happened either, for that matter. But it was a motivator, but maybe not quite enough. So it was no surprise to me that when we opened the package of this home gym workout system, there was another form of motivation. You guys are probably familiar with this. Have you ever seen the before and after pictures? Right? So you've got all these people that before this system, they were just a a lump on a couch, right? And after the system, they were climbing Mount Everest, right? And you can tell just by looking at the pictures <laughs> that they could do it, too. And it was as if the pictures were sort of telling me, this can be who you are if you hang in there, right? Don't give up. It's going to hurt, blah, 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 blah. If you hang in there, this is what you could look like. So I had two motivations. I had the past of maybe being in better shape, could be that again, but I also had a vision of the future of what could happen. So I was being pushed from the past and pulled into the future. And actually, it kind of worked. So we did it. It was probably mostly Becca, let's be honest. Let's be honest here. But there was th- this helped me to see these photos. We made it to the end of the 90 days. I could fit in those jeans. And I, I, I was looking pretty good. Those were days gone by. But I mention this because so far in our series, our series called Green Faith, we've mostly focused on the motivating past. Things like God's care for creation that we can see from the very beginning of time. The, the calling of humanity to serve and protect and develop uh, creation and the environment around us. We've looked at who are we made to be? What are we missing if we're not doing those things? But it's based mostly on what we can see from the past. But today, we're going to look at good news about the future, good news about where creation can be, and how the gospel, or what, what we're defining as God's hopeful message that he's renewing all things through Jesus, can help us understand where we've been, where we are now, and where we could be, where we're headed, if we'll buy in, if we'll go for it, if we'll put our head down. And so to do that, I want to sort of look at today kind of like a journey. You know, it's a summer. Anyone do any road trips this summer? Anyone? Yeah. Drive anywhere? I'm seeing hands. I'm seeing heads nodding. I like road trips. They're fun. So today's a little bit of a road trip. We're going to start where we were. We're going to look in the rear viewer, view mirror. We're going to talk about where we are now just by sort of looking around us. And then we're going to look to the future and where we can be. So let's load up the old station wagon or for this series, the giant 100-plus person tandem bicycle. And let's go for a ride. Let's, uh, let's look in our mirrors. So first, let's start with the rear view. Like, what do we look? Where it all began? Where do we start? And this is what we spent the first two weeks on. So I'll go quickly through this. But just to recap, this is where we say things started, or where we've been saying things started in this series. And the first big idea from the first week is that the earth belongs to God. He cares for it. And so therefore, creation has innate value apart from us apart from humanity. So it exists and it has value 
whether or not it's good for us, whether or not we can use it, it just is because God cares for it. So we looked at verses like Psalm 24, which said, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. We looked at Genesis, the first chapter, where it says, And God saw that creation was good. And he says this six times before humanity is created. So it was the earth is God's. He loves it. He cares for it. It's good because it's good apart from us. And that was our backdrop, the motivating past, what theologians refer to as the creational foundation for an ethic or a concern for the earth and the environment. God made and loved the earth and designed us to serve and protect it. That's where we started. And the key word, I think, for us to remember as we look in the rear view is care. That's the job that God had given to us as part of who we are to represent who he is to the rest of the world. We lose that. We lose part of who we are. So when we look in the rearview mirror, this is what we see. But when we look outside our side mirrors at what's happening, side mirrors? Yeah, what's happening right now all around us, at the objects in the mirror that may be closer than they appear, what do we see? Well, the side view is this, where we are now. What we see is that the landscape of our past changed rather quickly. So the story of creation turns quickly into a story of the fall of humanity, or the biblical story relays that humanity doubts the goodness of God, doubts the goodness of the jobs that he's given us, of those being to care, some of those being to care for and protect his, his creation. And part of this story is told in Genesis chapter 3, and it goes like this, to Adam he said, because you listened and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you'll return. So we see here that not only does death and decay enter the human existence, so it says, for dust you are, and dust you'll return, but humanity's rejection of, of the idea that God is good that is for us, the, the sin of doubting the goodness of God. And even, uh, so we see through that, even humanity's relationship with the earth is affected. So we now often misunderstand our role of caring for creation. And now we have to toil with the earth to meet our needs, where before it was easy. So it opens the possibility for humanity to view creation as a rival as a, things, as a thing to be forced into submission to serve us, as opposed to, be, as opposed to something valuable to serve and protect. So our behavior begins to negatively affect the environment around us. And as God sees this happening, to protect us against this, God gives laws to humanity. And one of those laws is called the law of Sabbath rest and jubilee. And In those laws, it's mandated that the ground must be given periodic rest from agriculture to renew and be refreshed. And God warns the Israelites when he gives them these laws, saying that if they fail to respect the earth in these ways, he'll take it away from them. And he'll send them off somewhere else in exile so that the ground can get some rest. In Leviticus chapter 26, uh, God says this, Then the land will enjoy its Sabbath years, and the time that it lies desolate, and you are in the country of your enemies, then the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. 
All the time that it lies desolate, the land will have the rest it did not have during the Sabbaths you lived in it. So God takes this pretty doggone seriously, right? This isn't a peripheral, this is a theme in our series too. This isn't such a peripheral, oh, after you check all the boxes, which isn't a great approach to faith anyway, then maybe you can get to this idea of caring for the environment if there's any time left over. But for God, you notice he says to the people he's decided to call by his name, look, if you don't take care of the land, if you don't give it its rest, I'm going to take it away from you and I'm going to send you off into exile so that you're far away from it so they can take care of itself. So it's a pretty big deal. God's not playing around. But even with these instructions... Humanity throughout the centuries has proven to be a mixed blessing to the rest of creation. So certainly, we've had some times where we do great things, we protect, we preserve, we develop creation, but we certainly are abusing what we've been given as well. So at the turn of the century, the Millennium Ecosystem Assessment was done. It was launched by the UN in 2001, involving 1,300 scientists from 95 countries And they came back with this assessment. I'll just read it verbatim. Quote, Nearly two-thirds of the services provided by nature to humankind are found to be in decline worldwide. In effect, the benefits reaped from our engineering of the planet have been achieved by running down natural capital assets. And they give some examples. At least one quarter of marine fish stocks are over-harvested, and in many seas, areas, the total weight of fish available to be caught is less than one-tenth of what it was before modern industrial fishing practices were introduced. 12% of birds, 25% of mammals, and 32% of amphibians are threatened with extinction in the next century. Since 1935, approximately 35% of mangroves, uh, those are the the vegetation, the trees that uh, protect coastlines, and 20% of coral reefs have been destroyed. And these are important wildlife habitats and also protect coastal communities from storms, erosion, and tidal waves. So, happy Father's Day. (laughs) So where does this leave us? Um, What do we see when we look out our side mirrors at the things that apparently are closer than they appear to be? Well, I think what we see is what's described in Romans chapter 8. And we're going to get to some good news here. Um, In this... Romans 8 says, The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So, when we look out our side mirrors, what's happening today? What do we see? We see creation is frustrated. Creation has been subjected to decay because of the sins of humanity. And God's allowed it in the hope that renewed people, people he calls the children of God, will be revealed and set it free. So creation waits for people renewed by the gospel, renewed by the Spirit of God, to do what they were created to do, which is care for creation. Creation is waiting for you and me to be renewed by God and take up our original call to care for creation and set it free from frustration and decay. 
And the key word for this, when we look outside our side mirrors, is frustration. Waiting. So that covers where we've been and where we are now. Now let's look at where we're going. This is the destination, where we're headed. And we see this described, I think, very poetically in Revelation chapter 21, the first four verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Now, here we see a picture of the ultimate destination. Our ultimate destination is a new heaven and a new earth. But there's no more frustration. Death and all its effects have been completely done away with. It says the old order of things, the frustrated order, has passed away. Now, here's where it gets fun. Oh, I think it's fun. I think it's kind of interesting. You can tell me later. I think this is kind of fun because this is a little bit controversial. There's some controversy over exactly how the earth, as described in the scriptures, is going to be renewed. So some people sort of take the tack that what we see here is that God has obliterated the old earth. He's like done with it and completely started over. Other people think that, I'm not sure that's what's happening. As I read this, it seems that God has renewed the creation that he already created. So he doesn't just blow it up and start over, but he renews the good thing that he already created. And the discussion centers mainly on a scripture found in this, uh, a book called Second Peter in the Bible, which reads this way. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Doesn't that sound like a movie? Right? The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything. So, and a lot focuses on this phrase, it will be laid bare. Now, sometimes that last phrase, will be laid bare, has been translated, actually has been translated, will be burned up, which has led some people to say that everything is going to burn. Everything. <laughs> That's really not that funny. It's kind of bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're not supposed to point people out when you're doing public speaking. So I apologize to the person I will not point out again. But it, that it laid bare, like everything's going to burn is the idea, Right? So if everything's going to be destroyed, why not just use what we need now? Get as much as we can out of the environment, focus on saving some people out of this broken mess, and wait for the next life. Okay? That's one way you can read this. But many scholars think this phrase is better translated as will be disclosed, will be found out, discovered, will be brought to justice, or as this translation we use every week says, will be laid bare will be seen for what it is. And the thought is that the author is not trying to communicate a fire that destroys everything completely, but rather a fire that melts away 
all of the effects of sin, all those frustrating things, all the corruption in the world, a fire that purges creation of the impurities of sin and decay and frees it. A refiner's fire. Now, I'm biased. I like that one better, and here's why. It makes more sense with the context of the passage. So if you could read back a few verses in verses 6 and 7, the author sets up his whole discussion of this verse by comparing the coming fire to the flood that you see in the story of Noah. Now, the interesting thing about that flood, and that's a whole other story, in the flood story, a world of wickedness is destroyed, but creation is preserved, right, in a very dramatic way. The idea of a refining fire also makes more sense in the context of the passage from Romans that we read earlier where creation is waiting in eager anticipation, it said, of freedom and glory being purged of injustice and and impurity sounds a lot like freedom and glory, but being completely destroyed does not. That doesn't sound too glorious. I don't think creation is waiting to be blown up and destroyed forever so God can start over with something new. The picture we see is creation waiting for us to be renewed and do the things we were created to do by representing God to the whole world by caring for and stewarding and watching out over creation. And it seems to me that what's described here is a fire that will purge and refine the world, freeing creation from its bondage to sin and decay. It's a refining fire. Gold with impurities still gold. It's just corrupted. And as we've learned throughout this series, God has said that creation is good. It has immense value. But now it's like gold, a valuable thing that's been frustrated and bound to decay. And what we see here is God's refining fire in a bold, dramatic, final way. Renewing all of creation. Everything corrupt is burned away, but what is good remains and is reshaped even as gold purified by fire is reshaped into beautiful jewelry. I like the way that theologian Chris Wright puts it. He says, The purpose of the blaze described in these verses is not the obliteration of the cosmos itself, but rather the purging of the sinful world order we live in through the consuming destruction of all that's evil within creation so as to establish the new creation. In other words, God's plans for the world are not to obliterate or annihilate it, but rather to renew it, to purify it, and to reshape it. And the key word for what we're hoping for, what we're looking towards, what we have an opportunity to participate in is renewal. So if renewal is where we're headed, but frustration is where we are, how do we get to renewal? So the future now, how do we get there? Well, in the story of the Bible, the great hope of getting to that final renewed destination is good news. The gospel, which can literally be translated good news. Remember we said at the beginning of today's talk that the gospel is the hopeful message that God is renewing all things through Jesus. We see it summarized in Colossians chapter 1 which says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So the work of renewing everything began in Jesus' trip to the cross, where he took on his shoulders the death and decay that entered the world through sin and put it to death on the cross, offering the opportunity of peace and renewal with God through him. And for those of us who take him up on that invitation, it says in another place, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. So we see this language that we see at the end of all things, this picture of heaven coming to earth and everything being renewed, this before and after, right? The age to come, all this. We see it here now being talked about in the present tense as something that can be experienced now, not just something that will happen someday. And through Jesus, we're given this opportunity of personal renewal now to become the children of God. That a frustrated creation has been longing to see revealed. And our actions then to care for creation become signs of that future in the present. We can build the future now. See, the hope is not that, you know, I think there would be some value and goodness to like being a part of renewing creation just in itself because creation has value. But it just seems kind of meh when you think that everything that you do is just going to be burned up anyway. But that's not what we see here. What we see here is that we can participate in something that will last that when a purifying fire comes, these are the things that don't get burned up. What you do to invest in the world around you that's good, that's inspired by the Spirit of God, all those things last, including what you do to care for and serve and protect the environment and creation. Those things last. You're like building the city of God now, by every little action that you take, every little compost that you do is an act of renewal that has eternal, it's the future now. It's as if you're reaching into a future perfect age and just taking a little bit of it and plopping it right here. That's what creation is waiting for, longing for, in eager anticipation of. That's the opportunity that you have, and that will last. That will not burn up. And caring for creation in this way is actually a way of sharing the gospel with the world. And as we reach into the future and we put a little bit here in the present, what that is for us on our journey, for us and for other people, it's like a signpost. This way. It's a sign of the kingdom of God to come, but it's also a picture of it having come already. And the key word for this section, where are we headed, how do we get there? Signposts. Reaching in the future, bring it into the presence. And this understanding of God's plan to renew all things and our role in that mission gives us motivation for the future. So look around you. Okay, Philly, Philly's a great city. 
but it's not a perfect city, right? The mission of our church is seeking to make our great city even better. The even better part says, yeah, it's awesome. We are blessed to be here. We have nothing bad to say about the city, but it could be better. There's some mangy lots that could use to be cleaned up. There are trees that could be tended, even some buildings that might be a little dilapidated, maybe some parks that are a little run down. I would like to say, let's think of those things as before pictures of where we are now. But what the gospel says is that part of the renewed role of humanity is to renew that blight. Each rundown block or abandoned lot is an opportunity to make a signpost pointing towards a renewing God who can renew our lives and is in the process of renewing all things. Theologians call this, you want to impress your friends? The eschatological foundation. Yeah, write it down. Eschatological, I won't spell it now, you can look it up. For caring for the earth. It's the forward-looking motivation that pulls us forward even while the motivational past pushes us. The past of our calling pushes us as a picture of the future now pulls us. And together they form a combination that I think can make this type of approach to life and creation, this idea of being a part of God's mission, the most powerful motivating force to care for the environment that exists. And there's no better opportunity to lay down signposts than in a city like Philadelphia. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, Brad. Or if you're going to think about the environment and nature and the glories of the heavens and all that, shouldn't we be thinking about rainforests and the countryside and, I don't know, someplace outside of the city? Two quick thoughts. First, nature exists in the city. Local parks, something that everyone values, but the simply, that the city, though, simply doesn't have the resources to keep them all in good shape. It takes communities coming together to supplement the city's efforts to take care of the parks. They just don't do it on their own. Friends groups take care of parks. Friends groups build tot lots. Friends groups uh, make sure there's ways to care about stormwater runoff when you rebuild a basketball court. Friends groups raise money. Friends groups make the difference. What if our local parks could become signposts to something greater? And I've seen that happen. Second, how we live in the city affects the rest of the world. Where the cities go, the world goes. You want to affect the global environment, start with cities, because we have the most influence. It's us. It's not park rangers out in Yosemite who are doing great work. It's people who live in the city and the choices that we make every day that have the greatest impact. I went to this website called um, footprintnetwork.org. Anybody heard of this? It's okay if you have it. You can go to this website, and there's a lot of things you can click, so you might get lost, but you can click on a link that says your personal footprint. It basically shows, in terms of consuming resources, um, if everyone lived like you did, how many worlds of resources would we need? So the first time I did it, 
I took the test, and apparently, uh, so this should be some humble pie here, it would take four and a half planets if everyone lived like I did to sustain everyone. Four and a half. So I did it again. (laughs) And you can just do the general categories or you can break it down a little bit and get more specific about how you, how you live instead of just choosing broad categories. And I think I got down to like three and a half planets when I got more specific. So I'm up here preaching, but I'm really not like maybe the best example. But I'm learning some things. I'm doing some things differently. We compost now. We've been recycling for years. The whole city has a great recycling um, process. But think about this. Another website, energystar.gov. I read on that site that if every household changed its five five most used bulbs to compact fluorescent light bulbs, the country could take 21 coal-fired power plants offline tomorrow. This would keep one trillion pounds of poisonous gases and soot out of the air we breathe and would have the same beneficial impact as taking eight million cars off the road. A decrease of soot and greenhouse gases and the air translates into people who will be spared disease and death. And according to the website, some 64,000 American deaths occur annually as a result of soot in the air. Five light bulbs. Recycle. We do a lot of this. This is almost too trendy to talk about, but I went to this website, HGO Conserve, and it says that it takes more than 47 million gallons of oil to produce plastic water bottles for Americans every year. Eliminating those bottles would be the equivalent to taking 100,000 cars off the road and preventing 1 billion pounds of carbon dioxide from being released into the air. Each plastic bottle requires about a gallon of water to manufacture, and that can release nickel, ethylene oxide, and benzene into the environment. Happy Father's Day. And... Rather than being recycled, 86% are thrown away. So, next time you buy a water bottle, just keep the water bottle and refill it. A lot of you carry water bottles around all the time. Yay for you. Yay for you. All right, there's a lot of, I, like, I'm not, I'm not that smart. You can get this information really quickly. But what we have provided for you, Devin put this together, is a list of 10 things that you could do this summer. Simple things. Uh, that are easy, that can make a difference. And as we end this series today, let me just suggest, try three for the rest of the summer. CSA is one possibility. I know that's on the list. Maybe you get a barrel for rainwater collection. There's a lot of good options there. Choose three and just see how it goes. Because as the cities go, so go the world. And the biggest difference can be made here.